This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Um, I tell you what I'm going to do. I told you this morning I wanted to read a little bit of the uh, or read the account of uh, the founding of, of uh, the church at Corinth. So before we go to First Corinthians, um, if you would turn with me to Acts 18, and we'll just look at that um, before we uh, before we go back to the first chapter of First Corinthians. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You, Lord, for Christian fellowship, Lord, for corporate study and praise and worship, and Lord, um, all the benefits that we derive, Lord, from, from coming together as a body and learning to function as a body. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you, you use Your Word to open our eyes to areas that we need to, to change and grow in. And, and Lord, grant the growth, grant the change, we pray. Uh, so that we may uh, do what You've designed us to do. Uh, work together in unity. Not in uniformity. <clears throat> not everybody doing the same thing, looking the same. But, but to work together with all of our differences, differences of personalities and differences of giftings. To work together as one body. In unity. Seeking to glorify and honor You. Grant uh, understanding from Your Word tonight, Father. I, I ask for enablement as I uh, deliver this message and pray that it be uh, the message You would have delivered. I ask You to enable me to do that and enable all of us to hear Your truth. Make it effective in our hearts. Again, for Your honor, praise, and glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, God is good. I tell you, th- these these passages like this, Acts 18, are fascinating to me. You know, the the apostle going into a, an area. Um, there's a lot of hard evangelism out there today, obviously, even in our own area. Um, but um, I, I've I've never been into an area where the the name of Christ wasn't already named. You know what I'm saying? I never walked into a place and had to literally, well, and, and in a sense, you have to introduce them to the correct Jesus here, okay? But the biblical Jesus, but but never gone into a place where there was just absolutely no knowledge of, of Jesus. That's that's what we're, we're, we see a lot in the Book of Acts. So here is Paul's um, Paul's initial trip into Corinth, where he founds the church in the city of Corinth that we talked about this morning. And Lord willing, that we'll be talking about as we move through the book. Verse 1, chapter, Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath 
and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, let me stop there for, for just a moment because one of the things I think I mentioned it this morning, we'll be noticing, at, noticing as we move through uh, the book of Corinthians, what, what you have in the Corinthian church, it seems obvious to me, is, is primarily a Gentile congregation. In other words, the congregation is made up of primarily Gentiles. Um, there, there, there are some significant differences. For example, when you read the, uh, the, the, the letters to the Corinthians and how Paul addresses them, the, the issues that, that come to the surface, there are significant differences in that, for example, in, say, um, his, his letter to uh, even to Galatia, where you have uh, Judaizers coming in, coming in and, and affecting the church there. Or especially the book of Hebrews, where um, the author there is, is definitely writing to Hebrew converts. Okay, so, so Paul, as his custom was, he, he would go in to these different cities and take the gospel first to the Jews. And that's, that's what you see him doing here in verse, uh, verses 3 and 4. He goes to the synagogue first and preaches the gospel to the Jews and then uh, moves on uh, when it's necessary to do so to the Gentiles. So he, he is uh, purposely um, intentionally taking the gospel to the Gentiles, but he would always make a point of hitting the Jewish synagogues first. So, again, verse 4, "...he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word, testifying to the Jews that Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garment and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. So here you have at least uh, one Jew saved. going to be more. Verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Now, there you have right there the founding of the church at Corinth. Paul wins uh, this, this one Jew, Crispus, and, and his family to the Lord. Uh, and, uh, and then also um, many of the Corinthians, verse 8 says, hearing Paul believed and were baptized. What is, what is Paul's message? Well, notice how it's put in verse 5 that, Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. Now, that's his approach to the Jews because Jews are familiar with the concept of Christ, you know, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. The Hebrew term is Messiah. Uh, the, the Greek term is Christos. Both mean the same thing. Um, so, uh, our word Christ means anointed, the anointed one. And the, the, the Jews have awaited for centuries now this anointed one, Messiah, Christos, Christ, who would, who would come as a deliverer. And so, Paul goes into the synagogue, um, dialoguing, we're told, in, uh, in, in verse 4, 
He reasoned, that is, he dialogued in the synagogue. And his whole objective is to persuade them, verse, verse 4, persuade them that this Jesus, verse 5, is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the Anointed One. So, with the Jews, he can, he can simply go in and start with the concept of Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And, and just make the case that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the long-awaited Messiah. With the Gentiles, he has to take a little bit different approach. And, you, and if you go back and read chapter 17, you'll see a great example of that. Paul's preaching on Mars Hill. Uh, but there, he has to start from the beginning, as it were, and, and talk about the one true God... And, and then, you know, that we're all going to face this one true God in judgment and that this one true God has sent, makes the whole case for sin, and this one true God has sent His Son Jesus to redeem us, to save us from our sins. Uh, and that, again, that ultimately everybody's going to face Him in judgment. So a little bit, little bit different, but um, the same message, just, just a little bit approach depending on what the people... No, but the bottom line is this, Christ and Him crucified. That kind of sums it all up, and that's the way Paul's going to say it in Corinthians. We preach Christ crucified. This is the wisdom of God that we, we preach. To the Jews, you know, that Christ crucified is the message that He is the Messiah. To the Gentiles, it's that He's the Son of the living God, the only true God, the only way to God, um, God's Son, come to uh, deliver us from sin. So let me go back to Acts 18 for just a moment here. Um, Again, at the end of verse 8, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. And I'm, I, I referenced this last week because we were talking about evangelism. We were talking about the Great Commission. Here, here's, here's a great example of what I think Jesus has in mind. You know, not just walking up on, to people on the street and saying, uh, you know, um, do you know Jesus or something like that. But Jesus, the, the commission is disciple. Disciple people. Now, it may start with that conversation. Do you know Jesus? Well, no. Well, let me tell you about Him. Or whatever. It may start with that conversation, but that's not the whole of it. It may start in a crusade somewhere with a, with a well-known preacher, but, but that's not the whole of it. it. It is a teaching process, a discipling process. Um, that's the Great Commission, disciple. And this is what we see Paul doing here, and specifically here, the Lord tells him to keep on speaking and don't be silent. So what does Paul do here in Corinth? Um, instead of ending the service Wednesday night, he ended it Sunday night. No, he goes on preaching a year and six months. I, I, that is, is more what I would say is the norm. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, uh, Evangelism, I think, in, in includes a lot of different things, uh, but but I, it still has to be a long term. Even if a, an evangelist comes in and gives a message and people are saved, somebody's got to pick up from there and continue the discipling process. 
That's the beginning of it. Alright? So, that's, that's what we see Paul doing. He's establishing a church here. And he's here for a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. I'm going to read on a little further just because, uh, mainly because of the mention of Sosthenes here. Verse 12, But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names, words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. The, the civil magistrate there, he didn't, he didn't want to be bothered with any of this and even allowed them to uh, abuse um, this man Sosthenes. And I think, um, well, at, at least possibly this is the same Sosthenes that Paul is referencing in 1 Corinthians 1.1, um, who is, is uh, and I'm back at 1 Corinthians 1 now. Paul says, Paul called to be... Uh, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes in his address. And it's obvious that the, the, whoever this Sosthenes is, in 1 Corinthians 1.1, he's well known by the church at Corinth. And, and that's why it just makes sense to me that it's probably the same guy mentioned in Acts 18 who was beaten there before the tribunal. Um, in the in the uh, very early stages of the existence of this church, in fact, here in First Corinthians one one, uh, Paul refers to him literally as the brother, the brother, Sosthenes. I mean, he's like he's he's esteemed, he's well known, and Paul says, "I'm letting you know he's he's with me, Sosthenes, the brother." So there in Acts eighteen, you have the beginning, the birthing of the church at Corinth. Paul goes into the synagogue to persuade the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Some Jews are saved, believe, and are baptized. But they have to move the teaching sessions over to um, another place because, uh, generally speaking, the Jews get enough of it they don't want to hear anymore. And so it seems to shift primarily to a focus on the Gentiles. And again, I think we'll see as we keep moving through the book that uh, I, that seems to be the case. Seems like to me the majority of the congregation at Corinth is is Gentile. They don't have this Jewish background. When Paul talks about some of the things they have come out of, and some of the things that, that um, some of them are still inclined to uh, participate in and engage in, this is this not these are things that Jews wouldn't have any part of. Um, like the eating meat offered to idols and so forth. So it seems to me that for the most part it's a Gentile congregation. All right, so let's go back to here, 1 Corinthians um, 1, verses 1 through 3, and Paul's address. 
And I just I want to just walk through here and talk a little bit about um, what Paul says here and and um, his Christology at the same time, uh, his view of Christ that Jesus is always central to the message. It was the message to the Jews, you know, the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. The Christ is Jesus. I came here to tell you that the Christ is Jesus. The message is Jesus. And it's central to um, the gospel message when it goes to the Gentiles. Christ crucified. All right? So, verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 first, and then we'll just go back through some of it. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now I mentioned this morning that one of the things that Paul is doing in this letter, one of the main things that Paul is doing in this letter is defending his apostleship. He is the apostle to the Gentiles, and he is the apostle to the Corinthian church. They seem to have a problem with that. And so this is, this is one of the main things that Paul is trying to set straight. Um, and so, uh, as I mentioned this morning, I think this is part of the reason he starts out the way that he does. Paul called by the will of God. Now, called. Paul says, I was, I was called. Called by the will of God. It, it's, it's, uh, and he's going he's gonna to use that same kind of language about the believers in general, the believers in Corinth. And it always indicates to me, especially here, because he, he's defending his apostleship, but th- this wasn't my idea. Paul's, Paul's saying, I didn't, I didn't set myself up in authority over you. Like I say, all that's not... So obvious here, it will be, as I think, as we move through the letter. But I, but I do think he's hinting at that here. I was, I was called. It wasn't my own idea. I was summoned. That's interesting language. Because, again, like I say, we're going we're gonna to see. Matter of fact, that word is, is just uh, used repeatedly uh, in here in the, in the first chapter in that concept. But he uses it in reference to himself, <clears throat> in reference to the church. Called to be saints in verse in verse uh, two, um, talking about the believers. But he he says, "I was called through the will of God. Not my own idea, not my own doing. This this mission, this um, this stewardship, he calls it later, wasn't born out of my own mind and my own will." I was kind of going about minding my own business, so to speak, and I was summoned, quite literally. <laughs> Saul! Saul! And every believer, I think, can identify with that. 
God knows how to get your attention. And you'll be in the midst of, sometimes for some people, the midst of consciously running from Him. You think about Jonah, and every you look at in the first chapter of Jonah, and everything that Jonah was doing, every move that Jonah was making, if you follow the language there, was downward. He went down, he went down, he went down. He, and, and to get away from the presence of the Lord. The Lord said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. So, so what does Jonah do? He finds the boat going to Tarsus, the other direction, to flee from the presence of the Lord. And that's an impossibility. Jonah finds that out. The Lord knows where you are, whether you're on your way to Tarsus or whether you're on your way to Damascus or wherever it was you thought you were on your way to. And He finds you and He calls you. He summons you. You're a chosen vessel unto Me. And I will show you what great things you must suffer for my name's sake. It's essentially what he said to Paul. Paul knows what it is to be called, summoned. I I had one plan for my life. I'm going about doing one thing. And then, bam, the grace invasion. Jesus just invaded my life and said, no, um, that's not what you're going to do. Pretty much what Dan was talking about earlier. Jesus just breaks in and says, no, that's not what you're going to do. You're mine. This is what you're going to do. I was called through the will of God. Through the will of God to be an apostle. Now, again, he's hinting at here at what he's going to be doing throughout the letter. Defending his own apostleship. I was called by the will of God to be an apostle. That is... Uh, the, the word means one sent, apostle, and it's in its broadest sense. Uh, in its broadest sense, we're all apostles. Every believer is an apostle of Jesus Christ because Christ has sent us. We saw that last week in Matthew 28. To take the gospel to all nations, to disciple all ethnic groups, all peoples. But Paul is not just an apostle in that sense. He's also an, an apostle in the narrow sense of one called out to a specific office. And that's what he's, that's what he's going, going to be defending as we move through the letter. I'm called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Of Christ Jesus. That's, that's the... Uh, the the uh, name of the Lord there is in the uh, genitive um, possession is the idea there of Christ Jesus. That is, I belong to Him. I was called of Him, and I'm sent of Him, sent by Him and under His authority. My calling, my election, my apostleship is of Jesus Christ. It is all of Him. I belong to Him. And our brother Sosthenes. Now, verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now, notice, 
There's the word called again. This time, this time he uses it in reference to the believers at Corinth. I've, I've heard, have heard, you know, one of the arguments made sometimes against uh, the doctrine of election is, uh, well, yeah, some people are called for things. I mean, God called out Abraham, God called out Moses, God called out Saul, God called Jeremiah. Yeah, some people that do really big things, God kind of interrupts their lives and says, you know, I'm taking you out to do this. I read an amazing, in a bad way, um, article just the other day, um, a, a, a guy was, uh, it, it, it wasn't an unfamiliar argument except the extent that he, that he went to with it. He was saying that the uh, uh, choosing language or election language throughout Scripture is never used in reference to an individual. The pastor over in Mississippi wrote an article in a theological journal. He said it's, it's never used in reference to an individual, only in reference to a group like the nation of Israel. I thought to myself, that is incredible. Jonah said, while I was yet in the womb, you, uh, Jeremiah rather, you knew me. Right? There, there's there's a, a lot of places you could go to. Again, I've already mentioned some individuals like Moses, um, and uh, Abraham and others, individuals who are called, summoned, Paul, Saul from Tarsus, summoned to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, now, Paul is not just using that language of himself, of the, the, the quote, important people, I guess the way we think of it sometimes, people who do big things, earth-moving things. He's using that same language about all the believers. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. That is, you were sanctified, made holy in Jesus, and called to be holy ones, or the holy people of God. You, you believers in Ephesus, you individuals, and by the way, you don't have a congregation without individuals. I mean, I don't understand the concept anyway of... of calling a group without calling individuals. You don't have a group without individuals. So he says to the believers, you're all called of Jesus Christ. That is, you've all been summoned to be saints, to be holy is the word there. The root word, um, these two words, sanctified and saints, are related, come from the same root. So you were made holy or sanctified or set apart in Christ, called to be holy, called to be saint, or holy ones. Together, that's going to be important <laughs> as we move through the epistle. In other words, God didn't just set you. He didn't just give the gospel to you and you only, you Corinthians. We're going to see language like that used by Paul later on. You're not special in that sense. You're called out together, all right? Together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So Paul says, I'm called 
through the will of God, by God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, that is one sent. And you, Corinthians, you also are called, not to be an apostle, but to be holy ones, set apart for God's use, to be saints. That's the word there. Along with all those everywhere. What what he's saying is, all those in every place. What he's saying is, the same thing he's going to say in more detail in chapter 12. You're a part of a body. God has called you out from the world into a body. And you're, and you're, you're, you're not alone. You're, you're part of something bigger than yourself. This, this is a, a real problem for the Corinthian church. And I think it's a real problem for all of us. We, uh, at least I know for me. We, we tend to be so self-focused. And they're coming up with their own ideas about what it means to be spiritual, with their own ideas about what wisdom is, and their own ideas about what knowledge is, so much so that they think they're more spiritual, have more knowledge and more wisdom than the Apostle Paul. Now, now you know why he talks about them being puffed up. <laughs> I mean, their, their egos are pretty inflated. So Paul wants them to know, no, it's not just you. You're called along with all those, or together with all those who in every place, and the, meet, the, the language here suggests every meeting place. I thought that was pretty neat. Every meeting place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And there again, see, he says it's both their Lord and ours, not just your Lord. You, you don't have the, you weren't given the exclusive message. You know, what, now what everybody else has to do is conform to the Corinthian way, right? No, Paul says, you're called together with everybody else who calls upon the name of the Lord. And he's their Lord, and he's our Lord. Both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned this morning, and I just want to reiterate this one more time here, uh, Paul is writing to them as to a legitimate church. We're, we're going to see a lot of problems and a lot of things as we move through the epistles that you, things that you'll look at and think, how in the world can these people be Christian? Or even consider, considered a church. So I want you to notice up front, because Paul's going to get pretty harsh with them also. (laughs) So notice up front that he addresses them as the church of God, verse 2. He calls them the church of God that is in Corinth. And his, his, uh, his prayer for them, it's not, it's not merely a, a, uh, a a greeting out of habit. Grace, verse 3. Grace to you and peace. And those are two common greetings. Grace, um, common uh, Greek greeting, karain, uh, uh, and then peace, shalom, would be in the Hebrew, common Jewish greeting. But 
I would argue at least that, 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 that Paul, or well, let me say it this way, and this is one reason I argue this. I, I would argue that the Holy Spirit is, is not just using this out of habit. I mean, this, what, he, what Paul is really saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, my, my desire, my prayer for you, my supplication for you is God's grace and peace. So he considers them to be a church of God. And his prayer, his hope for them is to experience more, or maybe I should say it this way, to, to continue to experience God's grace and peace. Now, on the Christology, quickly here, and we'll be done. Verse 1, Paul called to be, or called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned that one a moment ago. I'm going to focus in on the prepositions here. Called to be a, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or at least the, uh, the language. This one, this one doesn't actually have a preposition. It's, it's in the genitive uh, case, so it's actually built into the, to the word. It, it, it denotes or um, possession. So, so Paul is saying, right off the bat, again, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I think it, I think it has to do with possession and origin. My, my calling... My, my, my calling as a Christian as well as my particular function within that calling. My function in the church. I'm an apostle, Paul says, of Jesus Christ. That is my calling. The appointment of this function is of Jesus Christ. And I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. So I'm not operating under my own authority. I belong to Him. And it's like an ambassador going out and representing uh, the government of a country. Paul says, I'm not going out on my own authority. I'm doing this at the command of Christ. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I belong to Him. I represent Him. Verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those, notice, and notice the preposition, sanctified in Christ. Sanctified in Christ. Now, the words sanctified, like as I mentioned a moment ago, it's the idea of uh, separate, so being separated or set apart, made holy. You know, you think of the Old Testament um, temple worship, and they would consecrate utensils for, for the use in the temple. You know, utensils to be used, uh, utensils and bowls and things to be used in the sacrifices for different purposes. And those utensils were considered holy because they were set apart for use in the temple of God. In fact, the, the priests were considered holy. And they wore holy clothing. Everything was consecrated, set apart, made holy for use in the temple. That's the language here. You've been sanctified. To those who are sanctified that is made holy, are separated, set apart. You've been called out of the world. Called, he uses that language, summoned. So, so summoned where? Summoned, we know what a summons is. You get a summons to go to court. You're summoned to leave wherever you are and show up before the judge, right? So here it's, it's summoned out of the world and into the family of God. You're made holy. I love what 
uh, Sproul said the other night in the, the video we were watching, you know, what, just to kind of paraphrase it, because I don't remember the exact quote, but, but what makes something holy is the touch of God upon it. Right? What makes something holy is the touch of God. So God has touched you. That's the implication here. Brother Carl says he's messed with you. Okay? <laughs> That's good. That's good. He, he's messed with you. That's kind of what I was talking about earlier. You know, you're going about your business. All of a sudden, God breaks in your life and says, I have something better for you. And you're not going that way. You're going this way. You've been touched. Turched, they say up in Kentucky, I think. But... Uh, <laughs> You've been touched. You're made holy, separated. But notice the preposition in Christ Jesus. So just like Paul's calling and apostleship is um, of Christ, that is, he belongs to Christ and he represents Christ. So our sanctification is in Christ. That's where it's that's where it's located, if you will. In other words. There's no sanctification, there's no holiness, no being made holy apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's Christology. This is the way he preaches. Christocentric. Jesus is always at the center. He's never the ticket to get somewhere or the, just the path to take to get somewhere. He's where we're going. He's the destination. He's the end. So, our calling is of Him. Our sanctification is in Him. As a matter of fact, if you look down at verse uh, 30, and because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, that is, Christ Jesus did, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He is. He is our sanctification, our righteousness, our wisdom. So, you are sanctified in Christ. In Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon Christ, or the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The epi. Here, here it's not a separate um, preposition. It's, it's, it's the prefix for, uh, word, for one word. That's one word. Call upon. Call upon. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one we, we look to. He's where our safety is. We call on Him. Every, every believer, with all those who call upon, every believer looks to Christ for rescue, for salvation. It's the only place it's found. He's our rock, our fortress, our strong tower. The name of the Lord, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord, is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. We sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Right? 
we call upon Him. Upon Him. Upon His name, um, which represents Him, His character. So, we're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And here's the final one in his prayer here. Grace to you and peace from. Apo, from. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's the, the source of grace and peace. That's where it comes from. Again, it's, 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 it's from Christ. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From Him. I want to, I want to read you a quote before we're done here because I really thought this was well said. Um, I mentioned earlier that the term grace there was a common Greek greeting. And the term peace there was a common Hebrew greeting. It would be shalom in the Hebrew, arene here in the Greek. Um, but, a, but a common greeting that they would have used. And, and it's interesting that, that Paul puts them together. And as uh, Gordon Fee says, takes these, these common greetings and Christianizes them. Here's the quote. Here is a marvelous example of Paul's Christianizing whatever he puts his hand to. The traditional greeting in the Hellenistic world was karain, the infinitive of the verb to rejoice. But in salutations, meaning simply greetings. Like you would say greetings. And he gives some examples of that, Acts 15:23 and James 1:1. And the quote goes on. In Paul's hands, this now becomes charis, grace. He's modified the word and uses the word grace. To which is added the traditional Jewish greeting, shalom, peace. Thus, instead of greetings, it is grace to you and peace. <laughs> now listen to what Gordon Fee says here. In a sense, this sums up the whole of Paul's theological outlook. The sum total of all God's activity toward His human creatures is found in the word grace. God has given Himself to them mercifully and bountifully in Christ. Nothing is deserved. Nothing can be achieved. Tis mercy all immense and free. And the sum total of those benefits as they are experienced by the recipients of God's grace is found in the word peace, meaning well-being, wholeness, welfare. The one flows out of the other, and both together flow from God our Father and were made effective in human history through our Lord Jesus Christ. End quote. And that's what Paul is saying. You were called, set apart, sanctified, of God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Because of that, you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, my benediction for you is grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what Paul is saying? All of this is realized in the person of Jesus Christ and nowhere else. There's no calling, no sanctification. There's no grace. There's no peace. There's no safety. Or as we see as we move through the letter, there's no wisdom. There's no knowledge. There's no spirituality (laughs) apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's all of, in, on, and from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand, please? We'll pray and we'll dismiss. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.